0: The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and our topic this time is going to be something that I've always assumed I did an episode about, but apparently I haven't. It's something that I think any of you who like this podcast would like to know and probably need to know, we need to explore the whole concept of dialect. People often ask, what is the difference between a language and a dialect? And it's a very messy question to which there really is no answer. It's one of those things. Nevertheless, we all have certain folk conceptions of what distinguishes a language from a dialect, including linguists. I certainly have a sense of what a dialect is as opposed to a language, despite that I know formally that the whole question is ultimately meaningless. But from what we're taught, the world has a whole bunch of languages and then also a whole bunch of dialects, and we have a sense that there are dialects of a language, but where do you draw the line? What are we talking about? What is the technical truth? What we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these folk conceptions, these kind of intuitive ways of looking at it, and we're going to see that those don't quite work. We're going to fly around the issue and then zero in, and then we're going to face ourselves and what we're always going to think nevertheless, including linguists. But let's start with this. You might suppose this is something that you may have learned, or it may be something you intuit, that dialects are varieties of a language. That a language comes in a bunch of dialects and that as long as people who are speaking these dialects can understand each other, if these dialects are mutually intelligible, as we say, then they are dialects of a language. And the language consists of all those dialects together. That seems to make a certain sense. You figure with English, there's you know, Old Brooklynese, there is Black English, there's Cockney English, there's Australian English, but all those people can have a conversation, and all of it constitutes a grand category called English. And you might even know that there's a standard dialect and that it's only standard because of historical accidents, but still, it's one of many dialects, as I've stressed on this show. Well, the problem with that idea that you can distinguish languages as bundles of dialects is that that's not how speech varieties are distributed in the world as it actually is. And in fact, it's a little bit American understandable, but American to think of dialects in that way. Because here in this country, there really aren't many kinds of English that would strain our understanding in a really serious way, especially after we settled down and got used to it. We feel like, well, there's a way that people talk in New York and a way that people talk in California and a way that people often talk if they're black or if they're white Southerners, but all of it seems to be variations on the same thing. And so... We think there's this thing called English, and then when you step away from English, you have something completely different, and so that's a completely different language. Now, that makes sense from English to an extent, especially if you're only thinking about American English. We'll get across the pond in a bit. But for example, the closest language to English is one that a lot of us have never heard of called Frisian. The Germanic languages over in Europe come in a range of varieties. And one of the ones that we don't hear very much about is called Frisian. And that is the closest language to English, but frankly, for us, if we hear Frisian, we don't hear anything that sounds anything like our language unless we really strain. So, for example, let's hear some. This is somebody in the Netherlands where one strain of Frisian is spoken, and she's speaking, you know, at normal pace. This is clear audio. This is the language in the world that's closest to English, and see if you can get any of it. Good. Ik am Ik ben in Friesland. Dat is één van de noordelijke provincies van Nederland. En in Friesland praten we Fries. Um, ik werk je bij de Afvoer in Leuwarden. En de Afvoer zet er in voor de promotie van de Friese taal en cultuur in de breedste zin van het woord. Uh, we gaan specialiseren boeken in... So, for example, if you know some German and some Dutch and you listen closely, then Mike, if you could play it again, what I can get is something like. Goeie. Good something. Ik ben Jaakje. She says her name. Ik woon in Friesland. I'm in Friesland. Het is een the de noordelijke provincies van Nederland. The northern part of the Netherlands. In Friesland praten we Fries. In Friesland we speak Frisian. Ehm um, Ik werk bij de Afoek in Leeuwarden. I work at the That she says Afoek that could not possibly mean what it sounds like, but I draw a blank. Here, it's something about a bookshop that promotes Frisian. But see, that's the best I can do, and that's because I've got kind of a head start. Clearly, Frisian is a different language from English. And so you can think that it just kind of stops there. But the problem is... Really, there's a whole lot more blur around the edges of whatever you're thinking of as a language in terms of how real things go. So even with English, especially if we go over there, think about something like Scots. Scots may strike many people as a kind of English. You could say that. But then many Scots consider Scots to be a separate language. And that makes sense, too, because listen here to some Scots, and once again this is, you know, spoken at normal speed, it's quite clear, and listen how, with this man, it's kind of like a radio station that isn't quite tuned in. Listen to what he's saying and note how you keep falling into the gutter. My name is Dr. David Hosbroch, Language and Information Officer at the Centre for the Scots Lead in Perth. I would like to speak about the Scots Lead and its Sibnesthill historical spearings. Firstly, what is Scots? In modern Scotland, Scots is the name for the byleads gathered together, and is Kent by the other names of Doric, Lallans, and Scotch for by. And gone be where ye bide, ye micht already better ken a mere haemaboot name, sic as Borders, Buchan, Dundonian, Glasgow, or Shetland, to name a wheen. See, when gathered all together, the Scots by-lead cried, the Scots lead. So, lead is language, Kent is known, and here, listen to what he says here. And gone be where ye bide, ye might already better ken a mere him a name sick as Borders, Buchan, Dundonian, Glasgow, or Shetland. That's, you might already know a home-about name such as. To name a wheen. And then he says, to name a wheen. It's a ween. That's a few to name a ween. It's spelled W-H-E-E-N. So is this English? And notice that there's no slang here. We're not talking about the whole train spotting thing. This is just he's talking. He's saying some neutral stuff. Is that English if it's that hard for us? And imagine if he was talking faster and about spicier things. Is that English? Now, it's clearly not as different from English as Frisian, but it kind of straddles the line. Or, for example... Jamaican Patois, and that name Patois makes it sound so trivial, but Jamaican Patois, even if you're not using slang, even if you're not saying many things that are particularly Jamaican, Jamaican Patois is thought of as English by its speakers, but goodness can it strain the ear in terms of trying to understand of somebody who didn't grow up with it. So, for example, here's a woman telling a very sweet story in what she thinks of as English, because it is, except, wow. In terms of what English is most of us in America hear on a regular basis, this is really something that strains the definition of what we would think of as, say, the language that I'm speaking right now. Same time me lost my temper, and me holler, boy, That's same time I lost my temper, and I holler. Him tan up like him stunted, then hear him now he turned up like he was stunted, then hear him now. I think that's what she's saying. Jamaicans, if I'm messing that up, I apologize. Jamaican is not my Creole of specialty. I just play a specialist in Jamaican on TV. What happened to them sweet Jamaican joke you used for pop? What happened to those Jamaican jokes you used to pop? So, I can tell you what this woman is saying because I have strained to make it out. But Jamaican Patois is a very different kind of English to the point that if somebody says it's its own language and there are people who do say that, you can hardly say that they are mistaken. I remember the first time I heard Jamaican Patois it was a sunny day in 1985 and I heard a couple of gentlemen talking and they were speaking in a normal pace and the audio was great because this was real life and the word I could make out was television. And I was so stunned. I had never happened to hear Jamaican Patois until this day, which was actually my last day of college. I went back and I listened again because I had never heard something that was English, but wasn't. And I actually asked, what are you speaking? And they looked at me kind of funny. And now I know why, because they were thinking we're speaking English. But one of them said we're speaking Jamaican. And I thought, wow, what an interesting thing. It was kind of... (laughs) the beginning of what became a career. But what this means is that saying that a language is a bundle of dialects that are mutually intelligible doesn't work because intelligibility is clinal. It's a continuum. And the reason for this clinality in this business of mutually intelligible dialects and where one language leaves off and another one begins is because what this is all about is our friend language change. And what that means is that it is inherent to human speech varieties to change, just like cloud patterns always change. There's no such thing as a language that just stays the same. And so, for example, these days, more and more Americans say, I caught a fish instead of I caught a fish. They talk about a hawk flying in the sky rather than a hawk flying in the sky. And so the aw sound is becoming ah. It just is because those two sounds are next to each other in the mouth. It's adrift. It used to be marginal. Now it's becoming a majority. It is a majority of Americans under a certain age. That's happening. Sounds change. Or something like a th becomes a t. And so it's not thought but taught. Things like that. Those things happening throughout a language. Imagine that happening to all the sounds and then imagine new expressions come in you start using new words the definitions of words change this kind of thing creeps along a lot of this stuff is a matter of chance and so your all sound is going to become ah in one case but if you roll the dice again the all sound could become o oh too that can happen in the language as well and so you've got these different rolls of the dice. If people are separated, if you have one community of people here and another community of people there, then those changes are going to differ in the two places. And if thousands of years go by and those changes keep on accreting, well, then those two speech varieties that once were the same thing are going to be different languages. Now, let's say, 500 years go by. That much change hasn't happened yet, but they're different enough that you might think of them as dialects. But the point is, obviously, this isn't like protons and neutrons and whole numbers. It's not a matter of integers and frets like on the neck of a guitar. This is all continuous. And so it could be that enough change has taken place that people can still understand each other. It could be that so much change has taken place that people have no idea what each other is saying. And you've got English and Frisian. Or it could be somewhere in between. And you never know what's gonna happen. So that means that saying that dialects are mutually intelligible varieties of a thing called a language ends up not corresponding to how reality actually works. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And then there's this. You can have speech varieties that exist on a continuum such that you really have no way of saying what's a language and what's a dialect. So, for example... Ethiopia, some languages that you may never hear of again after this, I don't even know what to call them, are the Garage languages or dialects, or maybe there's one thing called Gurage, the varieties, whatever. And the reason that I'm saying it that way is that they are indigenous varieties of language. They are Semitic languages, actually. And what happens is that one of them shades into the other. So, soddo for he thatched a roof, is kaddanam. Gogot, for he thatched a roof, is kaddanam, okay. Move a little over and you've got moor. And in that variety, it's not kaddanam, but khaddanam. Okay, that's a little difference. Then in aja, next door, it's khaddarum. And so instead of khaddanam, khaddarum. So we started out with khaddanam, now we're at khaddarum. In Chaha, it isn't khaddarum, but just khadarum. That sounds different to them. khaddarum than khadarum. Then in Gieto, it's khattara. And you've lost that m. Mm. So from khadarum to khattara. You have the T that came in instead of the D. Then in Andagan, it's not khattara, it's hatara Now, we've gone bit by bit by bit by bit. But that means that in Sodo, it's Khadunum. In Andagan, it's hatara So, Soto and Endegen feel like different languages, but how do you decide what all that stuff in between is? Are they dialects of Soto? Are they dialects of Endogen? Well, you can't really say, and that kind of continuum is the way languages really work. For example, if you're talking about language on the ground, not what happened to become the standard languages and get to be the doggy in the shop window, but just languages spoken by ordinary people especially long before print and literacy tended to mess all of this up and eat up all of the interesting indigenous varieties. The way Europe was, for example, is that there's something we know of as Portuguese. There are many dialects of it. And as you move east, Portuguese becomes Spanish. There are dialects that are in between Portuguese and Spanish, kind of Spanaport or something like that. So that's what you have. Many of you probably know that there's a Romance language called Catalan. And Catalan is kind of like a love child of French and Spanish. It's as if French and Spanish had sex and produced a child, and it's this beautiful child that's Catalan. Catalan is like that. So are many of the languages of southern France, such as Provençal and Occitan. There are a whole bunch of languages like that that are like French and Spanish had an affair. French and Spanish just happen to be the ones that wound up as the standards. Really, you just have this kind of continuum, and you move along with those love children, and you wind up in the Alps and in the Piedmont, up in upper Italy, and you have these varieties that are called dialects of Italian, but what they really seem like is French and Italian had sex, and they're really not anything like the Italian that we learn in school, which is just one kind of Italian. Then you have a bunch of dialects that are a lot like that. And then you move down to southern Italy, and Sicilian is really a completely different language. And you've got these languages in Switzerland that seem kind of like Italian dropped acid. And that's because they're just different kinds of Italian, but they're not called that because they aren't Italian. A linguist might call them the Rado Romance varieties, and there are a whole bunch of them, and they practically differ from village to village. That is how language is really patterned. So what's a language? What's a dialect? Really, it's about how people speak in relatively small communities from place to place. And it varies a bit as you move along. That's what language is really like. And it actually does remind me of a song called That's How It Goes. This is from a musical of A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. If any of you like that book, or if any of you like the movie, you'll like the musical. It's a great score, I recommend downloading it. It sounds like a poor man's carousel, and how bad could that be? And this is a chorus song in it called That's How It Goes, where they talk about clothes and how you laugh in them, cry in them, live in them, die in them, that's how it goes. Well, that's true of how real language varieties work. It's all very down home. And then there's a problem with just the names of these things. Don't think that what things are called in terms of language and dialect is going to help us in getting a sense of how this sort of thing actually works. And so, for example, this is going to be so random. There was an early talky musical review. Don't worry, I'm not going to play anything from it. It was called Paramount on Parade. Now, Paramount on Parade was all these skits and songs, and it was MC'd. Now, believe it or not, there were about a dozen versions of this distributed around the world where they would splice in an MC from the place to bring on all the skits and songs and maybe do a couple of songs themselves. Okay, so Paramount on Parade had international versions. Now, if you saw Paramount on Parade in Sweden, Norway or Denmark, then you saw Ernst Rolf and his wife Tutte. I imagine only people of a certain age over in Scandinavia are going to know who those people were, but they were quite a big deal at the time. Ernst Rolf and Tuta Rolf, they emceed it. Now, Ernst was Swedish. Tuta was Norwegian. And they did the introductions and they did some numbers themselves. Now, here's the thing. Swedish and Norwegian and Danish are presented to us as different languages, and they are spoken in different countries. But if so, then how come in all three of those countries, when you sat through Paramount on parade, you had an MC that was speaking Swedish, and then a wife who's speaking Norwegian? Well, the reason is because Swedish and Norwegian and Danish are mutually intelligible. Danish kind of stretches it. But still, especially if you look at them on the page, They are really what we would think of as the same language. They're variations on a theme. I have seen a Swede, a Norwegian, and a Dane smoking in a dorm lounge, having a conversation, and they were not speaking English. They were using their varieties and, and making it work. So what that means is that even though we're taught in the Berlitz sense that those are different languages, really, if you are Swedish and you move to Norway, you don't take Norwegian lessons, you just kind of adjust. That's how close these quote unquote languages are. You know, I lied. I am gonna play something from Paramount on Parade. I'm gonna play something from the Swedish version. Don't you want to hear a little bit of Ernst Rolf and Tutor Rolf? They were actually kind of cute in a bizarre makes you want to hurt yourself way. Listen to their little song, which is yer Nogunting which means do something Here they are just a little. Don't you want to hear this? Well I do so here it is. This Ernst Rolf played Dorothy in an all-male production of The Wizard of Oz in Swedish. One should know such things. It should be part of the common core. But in any case, that means that often what is called a language is often what most of us would think of as variations on the same thing. Then there is another extreme, which is that many of you, I'm sure, have heard that there's Mandarin Chinese and then there's the Cantonese dialect. There's the Taiwanese dialect. Well, if these are dialects of one thing, then, boy, does that stretch our sense of what mutual intelligibility is, given that these dialects aren't mutually intelligible at all. So, for example, I'm going to just take something out of the air. Mandarin, the word for I, as in me and myself— wo, okay. In Cantonese, that's ngwa, Now, I know that sounds horrible, folks, but, you know, I'm, I'm not Cantonese. So, Mandarin, wo, okay. And then Cantonese, ngwa. Is that dialect? And you might think, well, they sound kind of alike, but how about something like, in Mandarin, he, she, it, ta. Okay, just top. In Cantonese, it's roughly, i Always self conscious trying to pronounce Cantonese, but it's basically K. That's he, she, it. K. So, top versus K. Are those dialects of the same language? No, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not picking things to make the point seem brighter than it is. Mandarin and Cantonese are certainly as different as really Spanish and Italian, and I would say even more. They're called dialects because they are written with the same system. And because they're spoken in the same country, but there is no Chinese language in that sense. Or even take Frisian. This is apparently the, the Frisian show. Frisian is really three. Different languages. There's West Frisian, which is spoken in the Netherlands. That's what we heard a bit of. But then there are two other varieties that are spoken in Germany. And some people think of these three as dialects of the same language, but they're not mutually intelligible. I made out some of that West Frisian. I have heard North Frisian, and I can't get anything. I mean, really, Frisian is three. Different languages that are called one language because of Frisian culture, and because all three of those languages did trace back to one language four million, hundred thousand billion years ago. So these things are, are hazy. One more thing that we might think. You see this in the media a lot, and I think a lot of us have internalized this. Is it that if something is written and standardized, it's a language. And then if it isn't written and standardized and it's just oral, then it's a dialect. Is that the idea? And is it true that, and this is something that I think tends to come along with that notion, whether we're aware of it or not, is the idea that the speech variety that's oral and unwritten and not standardized is less sophisticated, that there's less to it that real language is written, that that's kind of the bush that's been trimmed and fed, and then languages that haven't gotten that kind of treatment are just fucking around all over the place? easy to think that, but really that doesn't work either. The idea that dialects are oral and therefore less sophisticated, and the real thing is that which is written down. In some ways, it's the opposite. So for example, the Foreign Service Institute ranks languages as easier or harder to learn from English. And among their hardest are, for example, Finnish, Georgian, not Atlanta, but oh, we're talking about Georgia, Georgia, to be lazy, Georgia. Hungarian, Mongolian, Thai, and Vietnamese. Okay, those are what they call hard. But to tell you the truth, Almost any Native American language, almost any Australian Aboriginal language, most of the languages of Africa are all harder from English than particularly Finnish, Hungarian and Mongolian, and they could definitely give Thai, Vietnamese, and even Georgian a run for their money. So, for example, Georgian, it's spoken in the Caucasus. Another language spoken in the Caucasus is called Archi. Archi is spoken by only about 1,200 people, and it's not written in any real way. And you might think, oh, well, that's just some dialect. But no, not really. Our is fascinatingly intricate. There are 1,502,839 different forms that a verb can take. 1,502,839. That's a thousand times more forms than the number of people who even speak the language. So there you go. Or often you see an urban-rural divide where the rural quote-unquote dialect, as opposed to the quote-unquote language in the city, is actually more complicated. So for example, Flemish. And here we have the whole issue again in that I feel guilty saying that Flemish, I'm gonna get killed for this, but Flemish is, is a kind of Dutch. You move down into Belgium, and there are Dutch varieties in in Belgium. They're called Flemish. Now, some people would say Flemish is a different language because we're talking about nationhood. We're talking about culture. We're talking about history. Where do you draw the line, either literally or figuratively? But in any case, if we're talking about Flemish, there are many varieties of Flemish. And in some rural varieties, yes, gets delightfully complicated. So suppose somebody says, do you have a lamp? And you say, yes, you would say yok. Okay, that doesn't seem terribly interesting. But suppose somebody asks you and your spouse, do you two have a lamp? And you say, yes, you wouldn't say yok. You'd say yom, because if you're a we, you say yom, not yok. You only say yok if you're an I. If you ask, does Peter, Peter, does Peter have a lamp? And then somebody says, yes, you wouldn't say yok. You wouldn't say yom, you have to say yot. Yes, he does. That's how yes works in this quote-unquote primitive rural dialect. So Uriel Weinreich, the great linguist, Yiddishist, etc., once said, it's a perfect line, a language is a dialect with an army and a navy. His idea was that really dialects are called languages when they happen to become the vehicle of the powerful. And you could also take it from how he puts that, that really all there are, is dialects, or all there are is a certain one kind of thing, and the ones that get called language just happen to get called that because of their history. But still, we do use the terms language and dialect, and we're going to keep using them. And so I'll give you a thumbnail sense of, for example, how a linguist thinks of these things. Speech varieties differ from one another. They differ from one another to various degrees and in various ways. And at a certain point, you can have a thumbnail sense that you're dealing with a different language rather than a dialect. But what do we mean? Well, not slang. So often we kind of jokingly say that people are using so much slang that it's becoming a different language. But no, not not really. Slang is more about style. So if somebody refers to their parents as the rents, or if somebody, I'm now trying to think of some slang as if I don't use any, somebody refers to hitting on people as macking on them or something like that. That's a different kind of vocabulary, sure, but you wouldn't say that all the time. You're striking a certain kind of in-group note when you use slang. You also use the other words. You use the normal or the formal words. But there are cases where speech varieties differ, where they really do have serious and non-stylistic vocabulary differences. So for example, standard Arabic, the word for nose is anf. In Egyptian Arabic, the word for nose is manakhir, completely different. Now, manakhir doesn't mean like snoot or shnazola or something like that. It means nose, it's the word for nose. So these are two kinds of Arabic, but with completely different words for very basic things, like noses. And so, for example, if you see ra'a in the standard, but in Egyptian, you say shaf. Well, those are completely different words. And shaf doesn't mean to get a peep at or something like that, it means to see. So completely different words. So that's where speech varieties can start peeling away from each other. Then you start dealing with the sound system. And so, one person says go, but then in another variety, people say go. Or in one speech variety, people say mother, and another speech variety, people say mother or something like that. That sort of difference in sound system, we often call that an accent, that is another part of how speech varieties will differ. It might be that they're just different words, but then there might be a different sound system, and then you really get to some difference when the grammar starts being different. And that is where you start thinking of there being a different dialect. Now, the media can really mess this up. And so, for example, during the big controversy way, way back now in 1996 and 7 over the Oakland School Board's proposal of using black English as a teaching tool, the media never quite understood that when we talk about black English, we don't just mean slang. So if somebody says, I don't know if people say this now, but said, jet to the heezy, meaning to go home, that's not what people meant by what black English in the classroom was considered necessary. So for example, here is a clip from one of the innumerable news stories supposedly covering Ebonics back then, where you get a cute kid saying something cute, but it has nothing to do with real differences in vanilla vocabulary, as opposed to slang, Or accent or grammar. So here's the kid. Is English a second language to some blacks in America? I had this party at the Heasy, it was off the hook. What the heck does that mean? I had a party at my house and it was fun. As opposed to, for example, black English used for real in The Wire. So for example, here is just an ordinary scene. This is Omar, of course I have to use Omar and Proposition Joe, and they're having a conversation. So, see Omar like it's simple. So how we gonna do this, y'all, huh? My sister's boy, he do the drop. We call you and give up the spot. That's simple enough? That's what it is. See, now, Joe, I need you to resist your natural inclination to do anything twisted up in this here play. You feel me? I even catch a whiff of you doing something foul, Joe. I mean, I might got to go tell Marlo you the one put me up on that car game. Now, notice there's an accent issue. When Joe says, is that simple enough, actually that simple enough, you would know, even if you couldn't see it, that the person who said that simple enough was black. We can admit it, we've talked on this show about how there is a such thing as a black scent. It's just that there is a different sound system in black English. So listen to him say this. That simple enough? Or grammar. So Omar says, you the one put me up on that con game. Not you are the one who put me up, whole different set of grammatical rules in black English, and it's not all about leaving things out. Listen back to a couple of shows I did about black English on that. But in this case, you can leave out the verb to be under certain conditions, it's actually oddly complicated, but you to one, and then you the one who put me up, it's you to one put me up on that con game. Different grammar, that's why we think of black English as a different dialect from standard English. So. That's something that even a linguist thinks about. The dialect is kind of different, and then the language is completely different, and we think of it as a nested business. First, vocabulary, then it might be vocabulary and accent, then it might be vocabulary, accent, and grammar. But that informal kind of back of the envelope sense of it doesn't help us when we're trying to figure out, for example, where German ends and Dutch begins. Really, it's not that where that line is between the Netherlands and Germany, if you're on one side of the line, people are speaking Dutch and if you're on the other side of the line, people are speaking German. In the country, really, you have kind of German Dutch is the way it works. And there are various varieties where you really couldn't quite decide what it was. It's really kind of like a Dermensch and that's just the way it is. How do you know where to draw the line? You really can't. You can draw it on the map, but that's all it is. To have that back-of-the-envelope sense of things doesn't tell us why Norwegian is supposedly a different language from Swedish. It doesn't tell us why we call an obscure Native American language a dialect, while we call Spanish a language. Really, dialects are all there is, or a linguist might say speech varieties is all there is. And really, the idea that unwritten speech is dialects, that needs to go, and always remember that The way the map looks and what it implies about how languages work is completely misleading. That is not the real shit on the ground. You know what? I know that one in maybe 50 of you is still thinking about those Scandinavians singing that song, and you might want to know a little of what they're saying. And I asked a Swede, and so just to let you know and play a little of it, again, what they're saying is... The moon is shining and the stars are twinkling. All the same, I'm sitting here and thinking. Just make a move. Just make a move. It's so hard to keep from going crazy. When your heart feels blissful, sweet, and hazy. Just make a move. Just make a move. That's a cute little song. That's my translation, by the way. I I try to make it rhyme because it does rhyme. In Swedish. By the way, if you stay tuned for the Slate Plus segment, which you can only hear by subscribing to Slate Plus and paying just a little bit of money and therefore not having to listen to any ads, and this helps pay for not only my show but all the other, frankly, better shows that Slate does, then you will hear about more Creole language. So you don't have to be satisfied with me just giving a little hint of Jamaican patois. There'll be more but you can only hear it if you subscribe to Slate Plus today. No, we're not going to go out on Ye Nokenting. We're going to go out on something better. Jack Norman has asked me to play some Dan, specifically New Frontier. This is from Donald Fagan's glorious Nightfly album. The video for this is exquisite. It's got animation and fear and sex, the video alone, I recommend it. But the song itself is deathlessly smart. Yes, it's got the synthesizers. It was a time, but I love this song. In any case, you can reach us at Lexicon Valley at slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at slate.com to listen to past shows and subscribe, or just to reach out. Go to slate.com/lexiconvalley. Mike Volo is, as always, the editor, and I'm John McWhorter. By the way, no one. No one listening should dig up Paramount on Parade. Don't watch it. Life is short. I've already done it for you. Don't bother. Yes, we're going to have a wing smoke